Welcome to the St. Andrew Sunday Morning Sermon Podcast. You can connect with us online at www.gosaintandrew.com. A lot has happened in a week. Jesus rose from the dead. He walked through a wall to the terror and amazement of the disciples who had locked themselves in a room. I can only imagine what came next in that room. Then one of the disciples, Thomas, had missed the grand arrival of Jesus and demands to see Jesus' wounds from the cross to make sure it's really him. Wouldn't you? Jesus rounds out the week by coming to the beach one morning for breakfast with his guys. Our scripture is John 21, 1 through 19. After these things, Jesus showed up, showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Gathered there were Simon Peter, Thomas the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing, and they said, we'll go with you. They went out, they got in the boat, and that night they caught nothing. And just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples didn't know it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, you have no fish, have you? They answered, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast it and now they weren't able to even haul it in because there were so many fish. That disciple who Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And then Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord. And he put some clothes on because he was naked. And he jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came into the boat, dragging the net full of fish. For they were not far from the land, only about 100 yards off. And when they gone ashore, they saw the charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. And Jesus said, bring some fish that you just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. It was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he had raised from the dead. When they had finished their breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. And the second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he had said it to him a third time, do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. 
Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and go wherever you wish. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. After this, he said to him, follow me. May God add a blessing to the reading of this word. Will we ever rise? Will we ever rise above? the pain can we learn another way forgives you forgave i can see another day come broken people we can be made whole we can be made whole we can be made whole as we lay down our weapons open up our hearts love is breaking us love remaking us well here we are yeah the sunday after Easter. Now, if you attended last week, it was a lot, wasn't it? I, I, I mean, it was. It was a lot. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it was wonderful. It was spectacular. It was amazing. It was all those things. But it was also, if we're honest, perhaps a moment of emotional overload in some ways. It's not surprising. I think for many people today, the experience of sensory an emotional overload is a, a regular feature of their lives. Times of peace and quiet have become much less frequent for many, and the stress that some of us feel at work is only matched by the stress we feel on the commute home. Moreover, the general landscape of daily life, for some, is coupled with news or events that magnify emotional overload. Now, beloved, I have to tell you the disciples for the disciples, the general landscape of existence over the last week of Jesus' life had been overwhelming. The tension-filled, emotional high of their entry into Jerusalem was followed by extraordinary events in the temple, a Passover meal unlike any other, an intense experience in the Garden of Gethsemane, an unexpected betrayal, an armed arrest, a series of denials, a mock trial, a jeering mob, and a shocking and bloody execution. I think in any case, surely in the hours after Jesus' death, the disciples were crushed. They were numb. I mean, after all, the human spirit can only take so much, yes? Then came the events that brought an emotional overload of another sort altogether. An empty tomb? Excuse me, did you hear that right? An empty tomb? And resurrection events so astonishing that they had to be seen to be believed. 
I mean, these events would not only overwhelm and change the lives of the disciples forever. My friends, they would change the entire world forever. And experiences like these can overwhelm the human spirit. And many people will, at such times, seek comfort almost mindlessly in a variety of familiar activities. And that brings us to our reading this morning from John. We find Peter and the disciples of Jesus back home on the shores of Galilee, back in a familiar place among familiar faces. And surely we can grant them grace. I mean, in the immediate aftermath of all that had occurred, surely the disciples needed some time, some emotional space to assimilate everything that had just occurred. And following Peter's lead, the disciples returned to a familiar trade. I, I love this part. I'm going fishing, Peter said. I'm just going fishing. And the others said that they would go with him. It's a detail of the narrative that seems quaint, even quirky, coming as it does in the midst of such mind-altering, earth-bending events. Yet this is how human beings often respond, I think, to emotional overload. And the disciples' decision to return to their former life and trade sets all of us up to realize that in some ways, there is no longer any escape. There is no going back. Wherever they go, the Lord will be with them. The ordinary and the routine will no longer be either ordinary or routine. As the psalmist asks so pungently, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? For even as the disciples retreat to their familiar trade, we might retreat to our familiar spaces and places. And when we do what they and what we all ultimately discover is that Jesus is there, waiting patiently to serve and to nourish them and us. That moment on the shore early in the morning echoes a promise made and a promise kept. Do you remember? And remember, I am with you always, always, even unto the end of an age. Now, grammatically, I have to tell you that this little ditty in chapter 21, in fact, all of chapter 21 is something of an oddity. When you finish reading the last verses of John 20, I mean, it sounds as though you've come to the end of the book. The story wraps up beautifully with these resounding words. These signs are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. Amen. I mean, I'm not a writer, but that is a fantastic ending, right? That just wraps it up nicely. However, just when it sounds as if it's all over, yet there is just one more little story. It's kind of like a play when the curtain comes down and a single actor steps out on the front of the stage to deliver an epilogue or a postscript to the drama that's just unfolded. The author seems to have some fear and some anxiety that we might not have gotten the meaning of all that we saw and heard. So just one more little unforgettable story to offer. Now, the obvious change in the grammar, the rhetorical style, the theological imagery, um, it has occasioned endless discussion and uh, buckets of ink have been split, have been spilt, um, trying to figure out the origin of chapter 21. Some ask whether it comes from the same hand as the gospel or the same time as the rest of the gospel. Nah, I don't know. That debate continues today. I mean, perhaps we will never fully identify exactly what this anonymous editor intended, but when you read the epilogue closely in chapter 21, it awakens one flashback after another of what has taken place earlier 
in the whole drama of John's narrative. Themes, insights, scenes from the full story keep replaying themselves as we attend to the details of chapter 21. I mean, think about it. Think about it. The meal of fish and bread stir up memory of Christ blessing five loaves and two fish and feeding 5,000 people on the exact same shoreline. Hearing that none of the disciples at first recognized the risen Christ when he appears on the shore and calls to them, we recall that Mary mistook him for a simple gardener when she first encountered him at an empty tomb. Hearing that Jesus invites them to breakfast and feeds them recalls the earlier scene of his being at a table with them when he washed their feet and ate with them and delivered his final words. And I, have to, I find that particular memory quite striking, quite striking. Here early in the morning as the sun appears over the hills and shines upon the water, the risen Christ continues to share in the table of fellowship continues to supply the strength and the nurturing needed for life and for work. I love that. Christ continues, you see. And finally, hearing Christ ask Peter three times if he loves him. We recall Christ's prediction that Peter would deny him how many times? Three times. In short, the epilogue is a dramatic appeal to us not to reduce Christ and the wonders of his ministry to a simple story in the past, not to leave the gospel in a time and place far away and long ago. No, 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 no. Christ continues, you see. The epilogue in chapter 21 awakens memories of darkness, the darkness of our hunger, the darkness of our failure to recognize Christ, the darkness of our denial but at the same time, it reminds us that none of this darkness shall prevail. None of it will overcome the light. For the risen Christ still calls, still feeds, still empowers, even doubters and deniers for ministry, it seems. The epilogue tells us the curtain may have come down on John's narrative. But beloved, the real life drama of Christ is continuing, you see. Everything that John has shown us continues past that last scene into the present moment and beyond. It's amazing. An excited and grateful guest offered to help clean up after an enriching dinner party. So the host gave him a towel and he worked away at wiping pans and dishes. And then it happened. He picked up an expensive, crystal serving dish, a gift received by the host just days before, and as he was wiping it clean, he turned to say something um, to somebody else in the room. Of course, he didn't notice that they were turning towards him at the same time until it was too late. You, you get it? The bump, the crash, shards of expensive crystal dish all over the floor. The guest was crestfallen, and the host was devastated, but, but tried not to show it. And broken glass was swept off the floor, a promise was made to purchase a replacement. The guest left just crestfallen a little later amid a flood of apologies. Now, admittedly, the host struggled to think what forgiveness would mean in a case like this. I mean, after all, the host was angry, but knew it had happened perhaps because the excited guest was just too eager for his own good. Then a couple weeks later, another dinner party ensued. Same host, same guest list. And this time after the meal, without asking, 
The hosts graciously handed the same guest a towel and invited him to clean up. The guest stared at the host in disbelief. The host smiled. The work continued. Everything was just fine. You know, I can't remember where I read that. I can't remember. I wrote it down. But I can't remember where I read it. But over the course of this past week, that little tale kept coming back into my mind as I thought about our reading this morning. Specifically, I was led to the moment when Jesus took Peter aside for a private moment along the shores of the sea. This scene, beloved, between Jesus and Peter, I have to tell you, it is one of the most spectacular interchanges in the whole Bible, dare I say, in all of literature. The most remarkable thing about it is that by way of forgiveness, Jesus gives Peter a job to do. By way of forgiveness, Jesus gives Peter a job to do. When Peter professes his love, Jesus doesn't say, well, bless your heart. Thank you for that. No, he says, uh, well then, feed my lambs. Look after my sheep. Feed my sheep. You see, what strikes me, what I want to leave you with this morning, is how Jesus in this scene offers Peter what I believe we all essentially long for, seek, and need. A sense of belonging and a sense of purpose. Belonging, I think, is an elemental human need. We all need to feel accepted by a larger group to have a stable identity and sense of self, I think. This goes against what may seem like common sense. After all, our culture regularly posits that in, uh, identity is an individual um, affair, something we carve out for ourselves and by ourselves. And to some degree, I, I think that is true. But it turns out that the gift of identity is in part given to us by those around us as we see ourselves through the eyes of those closest to us. And just so we're not confused, I want to be crystal clear. Belonging is different than fitting in. Yes? Belonging is different than fitting in. Exact, they're exact opposites, if you want to know the truth. Because fitting in, what that means, fitting in is changing yourself to be acceptable by the group. You see? Whereas belonging is being found acceptable by your group just as you are. You see the difference? And friends, we all need to belong. In this scene, Jesus asked Peter three times, did you hear me? Three times, if he loves them or not. Three times. Imagine if someone you love asked whether you really loved him or her, not once, not twice, but three times. It's hurtful. It'd be hurtful. And indeed, Peter is hurt by this repetition. And I suspect that only later did it sink in that Peter is not, that Jesus is not testing Peter. He is reinstating him to the community of believers by allowing him to confess faith the same number of times he denied faith earlier. Jesus, you see, is drawing Peter back into a community to which he belongs and accepts one that accepts him for who he is. Jesus is reassuring Peter and all of us that despite his foibles, fumbles, bruises, missteps, and all his brokenness, he belongs. He matters. He is needed. He is beloved. And friends, if you leave here with one thing this morning, that's what I want you to leave with. It is the gift of Easter. 
I want you to comprehend down deep to the marrow of your bones that all of you, each one of you, belong here. That you are the beloved. And I know that's hard to comprehend. I get it. I truly do. There are lots of voices out there telling you otherwise. Those voices come at us from every direction telling us that we are not good enough, that we are worthless, unless we can prove otherwise. The persistence of these voices, I think, leads us into a trap of self-rejection. Henry Nguyen, the great author and scholar, once wrote, when we have come to believe in the voices that call us worthless and unlovable, then success, popularity, and power are easily perceived as attractive solutions. The real trap, however, is self-rejection. I am constantly surprised at how quickly I give in to this temptation, he writes. As soon as someone accuses me or criticizes me, as soon as I am rejected, left alone or abandoned, I find myself thinking, well, that proves once again that I am a nobody. Is this thing on? I want to make sure. <laughs> Nguyen continues, well, you and I don't have to kill ourselves. We are the beloved. We are intimately loved long before our parents, teachers, spouses, children, and friends loved or wounded us. That's the truth of our lives. That is the truth I want you to claim for yourself. That is the truth spoke by the voice that says, you are my beloved. And from the bottom of my heart, it is my deepest desire that regardless of who you are or where you come from, that when you step into this space, physically or virtually, when you move about the hallways and byways of this faith community, that you feel simply down deep that you are beloved, that you belong here, yes? That you are home. You are the beloved period. And finally, we all need a sense of purpose. The belief that what we do matters, that if we didn't show up, somebody might notice. Purpose, as it turns out, is one of the great motivators of our world, more powerful than money, our power, our fame. Believing that you have something of value to contribute draws us again and again into challenging circumstances with joy. And so in response to each of Peter's confessions, Jesus responds by giving him good work to do. Feed my sheep. Be a leader. Look out for the others. Devote yourself to this community. Peter is reinstated, restored, and reconciled into the community of the faithful and given a sense of belonging, and then he is given good work to do. He is given a purpose, a purpose. And guess what? I did a little bit of looking this week, and this little ditty, is just one of hundreds of stories and scriptures that do the exact same thing by granting us a sense of belonging and purpose. In fact, these two themes are so dominant in the biblical story that uh, we've actually created theological language to capture the ideas. For what else is justification? The promise that you are accepted for whom you are by God's grace alone, except the promise and acceptance of what? Belonging. And what else is vocation? The promise that God will use us wherever we are to take care of God's people and world except the promise of purpose, you see? Justification, vocation, belonging, purpose. Now without question, 
Our world today is uh, a tickle different than the one those first disciples traversed. Still, Christ continues, yes? Instead of a shore breakfast, we gather for Holy Communion. Instead of doing things the way we have always done them as church, Jesus calls us to cast our nets on the other side of the boat, to take some risk, to follow him into a new reality, a new way of being God's people in the world. And just as Jesus asked Simon Peter three times, do you love me? So Jesus asked us to respond in love by loving others and by tending and feeding God's people. And I had one more realization this week that in the end, it's really not about us at all. Hello. It's not about us at all. It's about that loving and amazing Lord who we celebrated last week on Easter that rose. That Lord who guides and feeds and loves us no matter how stubborn, squirrely, or squeamishly we behave. Despite all that, there is still bread from heaven. The cup will still be filled and the Lord's Supper will be served. We will be fed. So, beloved, instead of wandering off into our own little orbits this week, muddling about with half-hearted expectations, content to accept things as they are, I hope when you leave today that you hear again the words of Jesus. Do you love me? Answer with your hands and your feet and your heart. Indeed, with every fiber of your being. Do you love me? Take what you have been given and give it to others. Do you love me? Then go from this place. Believe, feed, tend, love, and serve. Your takeaways for today. The real life drama of Christ continues in each one of us. The drama of Easter continues into this present moment and beyond. You, just as you are, are the beloved and you belong here, and there is work to be done. Jesus has a job for you, a job that only you can do. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. And if you'd like more information, go to www.gosaintandrew.com. See you next week.